ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. It's powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250 at PlaySugarHouse.com. You can win real money with the sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play gambling problem. 1-800-GAMBLER. Andrew DeCecco is in. Jim Schwartz spoke today. Had a lot of interesting things to say as we get ready to move forward to Pittsburgh. Eagles on the road. There's going to be some fans in the stands. About 5,500 fans will be allowed at Heights Field, home of the Steelers. Let's get into it now with Andrew DeCecco here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And Andrew, welcome back, man. And of course, uh, the Eagles now moving forward here. A lot of defensive stuff with Jim Schwartz talking today. I want to start with um, the linebacker's position because Schwartz was asked about Geary today. All right, now you do a show and know Seth Joyner pretty well, correct? Yes. All right. Joyner played linebacker, so I'm going to take him as a guy who who knows the position pretty well. Now, Schwartz is asked today about people who don't watch the tape or just a, that are outside the building being critical, not really knowing what they're talking about, that there are times when it's not his fault. He just happens to be the closest guy. Now, Joyner says the guy stinks, okay? I'm going to take Joyner's word. Is Schwartz just covering for Geary, or is he accurate? Is Geary not a problem as you see it? Well, that's certainly something that Seth and I have discussed on on end for since probably prior to the draft, and that's just something that the Eagles have not addressed. There's no there's no sugarcoating it. The Eagles have the worst linebacking core in the NFL, and Nathan Gary is a big part of the problem there. And a lot of what I've kind of seen in my film study is his eyes often get him into trouble. He's often often caught looking into the backfield. He's a step too slow in coverage. He doesn't close on the ball particularly fast. When he has a beat on the running backs, he doesn't take the proper angles. Oftentimes he struggles to disengage from linemen when he does have an opportunity to, you know, when he is, when he is in position to make a tackle. There's just a lot of things there that you can't really gloss over when you're looking at some of his deficiencies. Yes, a lot of the, not all the errors that – that, are, that come into his zone or are necessarily, you know, credited to Nathan. Most of them are, you know, and, and that's, and that's problematic. And, but I also would like to say that it's not all Nathan Gary there as much grief as he gets. TJ Edwards has been, has had a hand in some errors. And, and so has Duke Riley. And, and those are really all the guys that they have to work with right now. And, and they've all had their share of blemishes throughout the season. Well, I was going to go in that direction. You brought up these other names. I sit here, and while I do think that Nathan Gary is a problem, what's the alternative? What are you supposed to do? And Alex Singleton gets a ball thrown right into his chest and brings it back to the house, and now we're all thinking, huh, is he the better option? I mean, I ask you, is there really a better option? Do you live and die with Nate Gary because he's at least experienced and been here, or do you need to look in another direction? Well, as good as Alex Singleton played, I think a lot of fans get enamored with the new kid on the block, so to speak, or as far as someone who gets in there and makes a couple plays. And like they're kind of like a backup quarterback. They're the most popular guy until they actually go in there and you see what the you see them perform. And 
Um, Alex Singleton's a guy who went in there and he played very hungry, and the ball was thrown to him, yes, but he made some nice plays against the run. But as far as the option that you have, they don't have the Eagles don't have a ton of options behind those guys. You have Sean Bradley, who would logically be the next player to step up. He's a fundamentally sound player, but he's limited athletically. There's not a lot that he can do from a coverage standpoint that the Eagles really would need, but he can kind of fill in the TJ Edwards role should TJ, should TJ miss any time with that hamstring injury. But Alex Singleton can play some outside linebacker, and Davion Taylor still ways away from playing. So their options are very limited. And, you know, no offense to Alex Singleton. When fans were viewing Alex Singleton as, as the savior to the linebacking core, I mean, that kind of speaks to the problem right there. Sure does. Um, and, and moving forward here, um, if Edwards is out, is Singleton even the next guy up? I mean, do they go and play Geary and Singleton on Sunday against the Steelers? Um, I think that it would probably be something along the lines of, he would, yes, Alex would, would would sprinkle in a little bit, but I think it would be more so Nathan and um, Sean Bradley, who I think is more comparable to a TJ Edwards as far as playing the run and being an instinctual player that can attack downhill and do some of the things that TJ can. I, I think you get the uh, as daunting as, as, as those options are, I think that you kind of get the, in the Eagles' eyes at least, you get the best of both worlds and a player who seemingly could should be their, their coverage guy and Nathan Gary, who was a former safety of Nebraska, and um, and someone like Sean Bradley, who's who's a very heady player that could, that that is afraid to mix it up between the tackles. So, um, well, yeah, that 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 to me would be the best combination. Either way, you uh, by the way, Geary is six two two twenty nine, and uh, Singleton is six two two forty. So Singleton a bit bigger. But what I thought was interesting about Singleton was what's the stat he ran the f- the fifth fastest time out of any player of the week on that interception return he ran faster than Jalen Rigger did on the 55 yard like so apparently he's got some athletic ability and can move for a bigger guy yeah he can you kind of got to see that when he shot off the gap made some plays against the run moves pretty well laterally and you see him on special teams every week where he's just flying down the field. He's oftentimes the first guy down the field in punt coverage and on kickoff coverage, and he runs through the end zone because obviously the returns haven't had a great deal of opportunities to run the football back. But you kind of get to see his explosiveness, and um, that's, that's, that is kind of impressive to see from a 240-pound athlete. Yeah. But um, I think that they're definitely going to find ways to get him on the field. And obviously the options are extremely limited right now, so he really has to be. But I don't necessarily know if he can be – a guy that can sit there and take on the full slate of snaps that uh, T.J. Edwards did. I think yeah. he'd be more of a third linebacker in that regard. Yeah, and even like um, you mentioned that he shot the gap. I thought he did a good – he played 15 snaps, I think it was, and ended up with two tackles, a pass broken up, and an interception. So he was pretty productive. You're right. You're, you're, everybody likes the new guy on the block, but the new guy got put into a, a spot and actually for a position that's much maligned. Uh, performed. That's a position that's going to be interesting to look at this week. James Conner, obviously a, a back that has some uh, you know downhill ability, pretty big guy. I want to ask you about what do you do with Mills? Um, I don't know what you thought about him at safety. I don't know how you thought he played on Sunday night, but do you just say, you know what, the safety thing wasn't working, let's scrap that and go back to put him there? Was Is he better than Maddox is at that spot? What's your take on Mills' moving forward well it doesn't get talked about nearly enough because Jalen Mills has become somewhat of a scapegoat a lot of times um in Philadelphia and, and a lot of times rightfully slow so but on Sunday night I thought Jalen played a relatively fun a sound game he was fundamentally sound and 
He made a lot of tough tackles on the edge there. I think he gives the Eagles a lot more than what Avante Maddox can give them at this point. Avante Maddox, to me, will be their nickel corner next season. He's kind of thrown in there by default because it didn't work out with Sidney Jones or Rasul Douglas for you know one reason or another. And that's kind of what they have there. I think it's too quick to give up on Jalen Mills as a safety. You know, three games, I guess, because the fourth game he played corner. I think it's too early to scrap that. But right now, he gives the Eagles their best chances at second corner. And you could see some platooning going on, continue to go on with uh, Kayvon Wallace and Marcus Epps at safety. And I think that that's really their like, their their cornerback depth. They, they need a guy like Jalen Mills. But as far as safety, they do have a, a, a few more options to go to. If Will Parks was available, I think I would like it even more because I think he can solidify that spot and then Jalen Mills could play corner and I would like that. You mentioned Wallace. He limited action and I just think, you know, there were moments when it was, hey, welcome to the NFL. What were your thoughts on Wallace as a whole? Yeah, I, I think that he got a well, he got kind of it was a baptism by fire going against George Kittle. That'll you know, that that's a, it's a heck of a start for for any rookie. But I mean, that's a tough task for any rookie. But uh, I thought he, I thought he did okay. He, he found he was around the football a little bit. He didn't do a whole. I mean, he didn't make a whole lot of plays, but he also didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Uh, Marcus Epps is someone who I think is a more physical player. I think he attacks downhill a little bit more. Yes, he got posterized on that IU play, but there are certain things that he does from an from a football intellect standpoint, and, and just a just a just an athletic standpoint and a physicality standpoint that really resonates with the coaching staff for one reason or another. We're not privy to that because we're not in the meeting rooms, but he is well thought of in the NovaCare complex. So he's going to continue to get his opportunities. Football at four, Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, Eagles defensive coordinator uh, Jim Schwartz spoke today, and uh, he, he had uh, some you know interesting things to say moving forward here. And one of them had to do with um, – you know, uh, the defensive backs. He said he made a point last week. They're playing a lot of man-to-man. Have you seen Schwartz, you know, change some of his principles up this year? Have Has he made adjustments? Uh, you know, that's something he has been criticized for. Like, hey, you know what Jim Schwartz is going to do? This is what he does. Has Schwartz made adjustments? Yeah, I think he has, and you're seeing that with the, and I think the X factor there without, you know, as a no-brainer is Darius Slay. He gives them, a, he gives Jim a lot of flexibility in what he's able to do on the back end. And a lot of the positionless players that they have, even though they're depleted there right now, that gives them a lot more flexibility in what they're able to do in terms of coverage. And I think you're seeing a new approach in Jim Schwartz because he finally has, you know, a vast array of players to work with that have different skill sets. And, uh, you know, four games into the season, I think he's kind of navigating through and, and, and figuring out what works best. But that's been the best approach going through uh, going through the early slate of games here. Jim Schwartz is interesting to me because, you know, I, I support him. I know he has flaws. I'm not saying he doesn't have flaws. But, like, last game, for example, I thought he had a tremendous game. And then what ended up happening was he played the prevent defense and it got super close and then fans – automatically assume that he needs to be fired. Four games in, the Eagles' defense is number one in sacks, number nine in yards allowed, number five in yards per play allowed, and number five on third down. So I just kind of want to get your overall thoughts throughout his entire, you know, coaching through the first four games. It's it's so easy to get frustrated with how close it got. It shouldn't have got that close, I get it. But overall, what he did with Avery, what he's doing with this defensive line to get this type of pressure, he's doing a lot of great things from a coaching standpoint as well. Yeah, I agree with you there. Jim Schwartz is another guy that's gotten ridiculed over, over his tenure in Philadelphia. And again, a lot of times it's been rightfully so. But he is a good coach. He's done a lot of, he's had to do a lot of smoke and mirrors with limited personnel at his disposal. 
but you mentioned Gennard Avery and players like that that he's kind of worked with, and Jayla Mills is kind of he's had some nice moments with under Jim Schwartz, and and there's certain players that have that that he's able to kind of work around their skill sets. But the one thing I will say about Jim is his scheme is not very imaginative. Teams don't really have to prepare much for him. It's very if you're not getting home with your with the, with the front four. I mean, they're not, they're typically not going to get home on those plays and the secondaries kind of left, uh, left hang, they're hanging out to dry out there. So uh, I think he's not an aggressive defensive coordinator, granted, but you're starting to see some changes in his philosophy because of the pieces that he has. And uh, that all starts with Darius play. But I, I mean, I think I, I've seen a little bit of growth out of Jim Schwartz and he is a good coach, despite what the, uh, the outside perception may be at times. I agree with you. And, and with the limited players, how much say does he specifically have in some of these players on the roster? Like, he looks at his defensive side of the ball. He's someone who's respected in this league. Is he the one that wants to have, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, like, he wants to have a Nate Gary. He wants to have some of these players on the roster. Is he someone who chooses some of these players on the defense that we may look at and go, what is going on here? I think that's fair. I, I don't necessarily know how much say he has uh, as a whole as far as players that, that, he's, that he has to work with. I know he's a big Jalen Mills fan, and I know he's, he's very high on Marcus Epps and certain players like that. But, you know, in large part, I think that he's given these guys and, you know, he's kind of got to make it work. He's, he's got to make chicken salad, and so to speak. And, um, and I think that, you know, given the, given the personnel and, and the pieces that he's been given – He's done a he's done a fairly admirable job. Obviously, that bend but don't break defense is, is eventually going to break if you continue to if you continue to you know kind of put put band-aids on certain positions such as linebacker and safety. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that if, if he had it his way, he wouldn't want a guy like he, he would want a guy like like Nathan Gary there fronting his linebacking core. Uh, I would imagine that there's not one. Defensive coach in the league that wants Nate Gary. He's been here for a long time, right? Like you look at Schwartz, fronting, fronting. You talk the about court. the personnel, though. It's like you know he would have some say in the personnel decisions on that backside of the so, football. So all right, so you think Jim Schwartz says, "Give me a guy like Geary"? No, I don't think it goes to that <laughs> degree. But I do think that he has said he's been here for a long time. Yeah. It's not like he's been here for one season. He's consistently in this linebacker core. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. And and, and I imagine when they drafted him. I don't know. You guys can maybe disagree with me. I don't think they visioned him as the leader of the linebacking unit. Do you? No, absolutely not. I think he was more viewed as, okay, he's a, he's a converted safety. Let's see what we can get out of this guy. He'll be a core special teamer, probably a third linebacker. They, he was lauded for his coverage acumen. Let's see if we can kind of get him in there and match him up against tight ends. But as far as someone that's going to play 99% of the defensive snaps, no, I don't, I don't think they ever envisioned that. And that's what they got. Speaking of snaps, Jannard Avery got very few, but he was very productive. Um, is that a role for him going forward, that situational type of guy? Um, but, I mean, they, they had a very good pass rush. And, and, and I'll follow up with this after you talk about Avery, which we, we touched on him a little bit yesterday. But Schwartz, you know, insinuated this week that playing him in that role is the best. Is that the best role for him? Yes, and you look at someone like Jannard Avery, who's six foot, two hundred and fifty pounds. Guys like that aren't meant to be one of the someone that you want to throw out there for forty snaps a game. He's going to be his optimal usage is going to be twelve to eighteen snaps. Keep him fresh, have him come off the edge with a with a full head of steam, and you know just have that burst and energy that that that, that, that he's known for that quick twist, 
quick twitch burst off the edge. Otherwise, if you keep putting him out there, you tend he, he's a player of his mold is going to wear down, and they're not going to have the same effect as effectiveness as they would in the fourth quarter of games, which is really where you need someone like that as a fastball off the edge. I thought that he, he kind of mentioned something today about him having such a large repertoire of pass rush, uh, pass rush moves in his arsenal, and the Eagles and the Eagles defensive coaches and Matt Burke and 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 Washburn have really kind of honed in on what works best for him, and he's taken well to that, and you kind of see it all come together, you know, games into his tenure, about 10 or 13, 10, 10 to 11 games into his Eagles tenure. All right, so with that being said, the pass rush, um, the overall pass rush the last couple of weeks, very good, very consistent, and and that's, that's the name of the game for this defense, right? So you have um, Sweat. Avery as the kind of the backup guys. Then you have Graham and Barnett, who I thought played his best game. You had Jackson. You know, that group there. How much do you think that the uh, really the success of this team, offense and defense, is tied to that defensive front? Oh, it 100% is. Because if you, when you look at the state of what the secondary is right now, what they can get from their defensive line means everything. It's in, it's integral to the success of the entire defense. And, you know, you, let's, you mentioned those guys, but you also are going to be getting Vinny Curry back. Casey Tuhill is a player that, could, that has a lot of ability. But we haven't even mentioned him. He was only active for the Rams game. But he also has that in that Gennard Avery type of mold that can be, you know, give you that 12 to, 12 to 16 or 18 snaps a game if he had to. And he's going to come off the edge with, a, with, a, with tenacity and he uses his hand extremely well. Those are, they have a lot of guys there that they can use, and which is going to be very important when you face these tougher teams coming on the schedule here. And, um, and that, that's the identity of their defense. And they need to get pressure from, from, their, from their defensive line. And if they don't, you tend to see that those are the games that tend to spiral out of control fairly early. Well, we were talking about Jalen Mills. You mentioned Avante Maddox and, and Roby Coleman. And I was thinking about Craven LeBlanc, who made an impact play. And I just think about, you know, if you do move Avante Maddox back to the slot area, now there's like a three-way battle involved with that position for the most part. And what is the best role for Craven LeBlanc? Because he does make plays. But is he like a, a singleton where he makes the play because it's like a spark plug kind of thing, more so than if he had mm-hmm. full-time play, it would be different. What's the best role for someone like LeBlanc? You know, I'm going to give you a basketball analogy. Craven LeBlanc, to me, reminds me of a T.J. McConnell Love it. Knew player. you were going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as someone that, yeah, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy. But when he, when he is in, he's productive. But he's also not someone you want to put in there and have him start an entire game because then you tend to get some of his skill sets kind of gets exposed. His limitations, I should say, get exposed as far as what you saw. Even, you even saw that down the field with George Kittle. Craven just couldn't keep up with them. And not, not many corners can, but, you know, we're talking about a tight end running down the field. There are certain things that Craven does extremely well. He's aggressive to the football. He closes on the football well. He's a smart player. But, again, not someone that you want out there for an entire game, not someone that you want to build your defense around or your secondary plans around. I don't know where he would fit in next season. I think you put Maddox in the slot and let, and let the rest of it sort itself out. Whether he's a backup again or whether he goes he goes somewhere else. Remember, he was released um, and didn't sign, and, and there was no teams that that you know kind of snatched him up before the Eagles you know kind of re-signed him. I don't know how he's viewed around the league. I know he was he was waived a couple of times, and he's he, he's a good role player for what he is. Uh, he's a good, and, but I mean, as far as someone that you're going to throw in there and, and give him you know 
the bulk of the of the slot snaps or 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 role or pivotal role like that. I don't necessarily think that that's what their their plans are for him. What do you make of Andrew uh, Russell Douglas having success? Uh, Sullivan having success. Uh, who's the other guy? Bosby made a play. I saw the other night that he's uh, you know doing some things with Denver. What do you make of some of these guys who have struggled here, uh, going other places and kind of uh, finding their way? Well, as far as Rasul Douglas is concerned, it's amazing what a player can do when they're put into a system that best fits their skill set. And that's what I'll say about him. He's he's in a scheme right now that he's that he's built to thrive in. And, you know, we're starting to see that happen before our very eyes. You saw what he did against DeAndre Hopkins. Very impressive. Um, and, a, and a player like Shannon Sullivan, to me, epitomizes what a big problem as far as evaluation has been uh, from the Eagles' standpoint. When you have a young player who's forced into action because of injuries or whatever the situation is, they struggle, you know, and they inevitably struggle because they're kind of thrown into the fire and they, get, and they give up on them and they never go back to those guys and they kind of fall out of favor and they're, they're eventually placed on waivers and they go somewhere else. Shannon Sullivan's a player that was a senior bowl player. He was a Sunbelt star. He ha- he always had ability. They just didn't give him the, they weren't, they didn't put him in the best position to be successful. And the Green Bay Packers afforded him an opportunity. They were more patient with him and they actually invested in him. And you're seeing what he can do with, you know, with proper coaching. And I think that has been, it's not just Shannon. There, there's a lot of players you can look to that have kind of fallen victim to similar circumstances in Philadelphia. And I think that has to do with a lot of, uh, from a poor developmental standpoint. Uh, he's Andrew DeCecco, and uh, it's Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, uh, every day, 4 o'clock, we do Football at Four. Mosher tomorrow, Kaplan on Thursday, Mosher on Friday. Andrew, of course, um, the uh, Eagles, uh, you get the Tuesday where Jim Schwartz talks. I want to say, if they're going to make the playoffs, to me, see if you agree, it's because that defense took them there. Yeah, there's just too many moving parts on offense right now to get any kind of sustained success on there. You don't know what you're going if Deshaun Jackson's going to come back and be the player that he always was his whole career, or if he's going to be a shell, continue to be a shell of his former self. There's just so much uncertainty there. The offensive line's in shambles. How long is that going to be able to, you know, be sustained? There's just too many question marks there. I think on defense. The hallmark there is, is, is pressure-based. Their defensive line is where all their investments have been. And if, if they're going to have any kind of success this season, it's going to be you know on, on their shoulders. Uh, real quick, would you pick up Sanu? Sanu, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. You have to wonder what he has left and, and really where he would fit. To me, he's a slot receiver and not much more than that at this point in his career. And the Eagles already have a number of guys that are, you know, slot-based. You look at Deontay Burnett and Greg Ward, and we can go on and on and on. But um, let the young guys play. Let, yeah. Let's see what they got. I agree. Uh, I, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, I, I agree with you. He's very similar to the guys you have. Just, you know, I, I don't know. that, And I, I don't know, um, Jeffrey, If if do you anticipate Jeffrey back this week? Um, I think I think there's an outside chance that either him or Quez Watkins return in the lineup this week. That kind of when I saw Dream Killens get waived, obviously the Eagles all need five running backs on the active roster. But to me, that kind of sparks something that there might be another offensive weapon that that's going to be available this weekend. And I would have to think that that would be Alshon 
or Quez Watkins. I still think that Deshaun Jackson's a ways away with that hamstring injury. Uh, by the way, I know you're a big Van Halen guy. What's your favorite Van Halen? Eddie Van Halen passed away, for those of you who uh, are just tuning in. Uh, what's your favorite? You got uh, you got Van Halen on shuffle the rest of the day. Uh, what's your yeah, go? To, what's your go to Van Halen? The Cradle Will Rock. Cradle Will Rock. Let me see if I can uh, pull that up for you on the uh, the old get out of here right now. As uh, you know, uh, I, as we all saw that news and was like, whoa! I know you're a big guitar guy, right? Well, yeah, I'm a huge guitar guy. I mean, you could go with that. You can go with Eruption. That's that's this, that's Eddie's signature song right there. So yeah, you, yeah, go with Eruption if you can find it. All right, we'll try to uh, pull that up real fast so we can. Hey, uh, obviously, good stuff as always on the football at four here. And uh, he like August appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as uh, Andrew Checo every day four o'clock the Inside the Birds podcast. Guys, bring you football at four. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go. PT today, football at four with DeCecco. PT tonight at five for a Tuesday with Thompson. Listen to those sweet sounds, Eddie Van Halen there. You know, I met um, Sammy Hagar. Oh, yeah? Yep. How was that? Same night I met Donald Trump. Interesting. Yep. Were they together? I was at a soiree, and Sammy Hagar was there, and so was then Donald Trump, now President Trump. Unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice party. Yeah. Yeah. Nice party out there having a good old time. Sammy Hagar, he had his uh, Cabo Wabo, uh, whatever it's called. The Cabo Wabo um, liquor. Was it good? I didn't try it. Oh, why not? I don't remember. He was like with some sort of promotion for that. Good stuff here. You a guitarsman? No. Not into it? No, not really. I appreciate it, though. It's not like I'm going to poo-poo it. But I'm just, it's just not my, you know, like, I don't hear this, and I'm like, yes! Uh, I wish I could do this, but yeah, well, not that, that would close. be great. Oh, no. A chord? B chord? <laughs> All right, on the other side, we got uh, Ask Mike and Broads on the way. We'll answer your questions. Fire them up right now. 609-403-0973. Bash with Mike Gill. On 97.3 ESPN-FM. Right, 4.32 on the Sports Bash. It's Ask Mike and Bro. It's brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. All right. Ask Mike and Broads. Let's get into some questions from our listeners today. 609-403-0973. Send a question our way. 609 403 0973. Somebody texted in. Do you know that's the first time the Eagles have won a game entering the fourth quarter trailing since 2010? I did see some stat about how they were playing down with the lead and came back. I didn't know that it, it finished off with since 2010, though. Did not know that. Wow. Huh. I guess that's what happens when you're so uh so good you always have the lead, huh? How about that? <laughs> well. Is that a way to look at it? It's a theory. Yeah, yeah. All right, look, we got a bunch of different questions all over the place. This one's from Connor. I think it's pretty funny. Gil, how can you accept Broads' UFC flip-flop? Are you keeping me out of the UFC department because I once bashed on it, or are you open to allowing people to come in? That was the question. How Um, can you accept my flip-flop? I don't have a problem with it. Some people need to, you know, open their eyes to stuff. Right. You weren't willing to do it, and then you did. 
But I think this is pretty... Your reasoning was just poor before, well, that's all. Time out. You, I told you my philosophy. I definitely blew it out of proportion because I saw the the intensity in, in you and Josh's eyes when I would say things. It almost fed me to kind of push push the buttons a little bit more. It wasn't... I didn't truly believe everything I was saying. That's even more fraudulent. Well, that's fine. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't mind people being, you know, late fans to something. Like, I say, like, with the UFC, you can't just be like, I'm going to watch this and be a fan. Like, you need to kind of watch it and, and, like, get a better understanding of it. Like, some people like the the like the physicality, you know? Others are kind of turned off by it, which is kind of what you were saying. Like, you know, I don't like the brutality. Or- there are moments, though, where someone's clearly knocked out and they still get that one extra punch in. It's like, oh, man, imagine being blacked out and getting that sucker punch in the face. You see the nose and the face. It's like, oh, we probably shouldn't have take that shot. Yeah, I mean, people, you know? some people are, like, turned off by that, which is fine. I mean, you have every right to be that person doesn't bother me like i don't have a problem watching that type of you know gore or whatever you want to say like i, just, I see the i, can't I see imagine the scientific taking, nature of it right i just can't imagine taking those shots like sometimes i'm watching it might have a couple too many how do you do's and i'm just sitting there thinking damn i could not take that shot to the face and they just take like seven and then it's time for the next round i'm more glad that you had an open mind while watching it and were willing to say let me give it a shot and see if i like it or not instead of just writing it off to i don't like it i'm not even going to give it a chance which most people would be in that boat where they just say they don't like it so since they took that stance they then can't change course one of the big things, though, I'm not going to lie, one of the big things that made me sit down, well, one of it was there was nothing else on. It was the big UFC event. They were on Fight Island. It was the first time any sporting event was on like that, and that made me sit down. But how big it is and how popular it's becoming, that is sort of what made me sit down. Like, I'm a sportsman. I love watching sports. No matter what it is, golf, tennis, baseball, they all have their own identity that I love. There's none that I hate. There's no sport that I hate. So with this becoming so popular, how can I just not enjoy the UFC? It just doesn't even make sense. I don't hate any sports. I'm not as interested like in tennis, but I appreciate the difficult nature. Like, you ever just go out and try to play tennis? Sure. Very difficult to be good at that sport. Same with golf. I like watching golf. Not very good at it. Tennis is... It's funny you bring up tennis. So I've been playing with, when it was the summer, a little bit hotter. I was playing with my fiance. We go out and play tennis. The problem is... I got to take a little bit off so we can... It's more of a rally than it is like, hey, keep score. So, you know, I got to take a little off so I don't just keep winning all the time. It changes the intensity. But, like, you can't just go out there and fire serves. I would like to think I could. Yeah, but, I mean, most normal people can. I know. You it's know, a fun game. It's like you're watching this. You don't appreciate how difficult it is to get that serve at that velocity in the space that they give you. Now, I got to bring up UFC 254 because I was texting Josh. I see these commercials all the time, right? I want to run through a brick wall thinking about Habib. I'm a Habib. That's what's coming up, what, two weeks from now? Yeah, it's the weekend. It's funny. You know what I did? I actually, because your party is, so what, two weekends from now? It's the 17th? That we're all going to have a nice how do you do? I had to make sure that didn't fall on 54 because I wasn't going to come to your party. I would have it on. Fair. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Touche. Touche. Yeah. I like my own environment. I like to watch by myself so I can strategically break this thing down. And and by the way, the main card of 254 starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Same time as my party. 
What is that? The prelims, you mean, though? No, that's the main card. The How's preliminary the, card's at noon. The The main card starts at 2 o'clock? That's what it says here. How is that possible? It's a six-card fight. It and it says starts at 2? The early prelims are at 10.15 a.m. We'll get the UFC master. The preliminaries are at noon, Josh and the main card starts at 2. Josh is UFC master 2.0 because I'm 1.0 at this point in my career. That's shocking if that is true. But well, They might be... I don't know where they at. The Flash Four. No, it's the last fight on the island, I believe. Okay, well, it says two o'clock. Who do you think wins? I'm a Habib's man. Now, does that make me a fraud? Oh, it is two, Josh. How about that? It is two o'clock. Two o'clock. All right, but um, good thing I would have sat down at ten, ready to watch the fight, and I probably would have missed it. I would have been pissed, but I have UFC Fight Pass, so <laughs> I would have watched it on UFC Fight Pass. That's great. <laughs> what but, the uh, next? What did they put it up on Fight Pass? I don't know how quickly it, it pops up. Right now, I'm on 172 or whatever. I, at this point, Gil, I catch them live, all right? So I don't have to worry about really catching the replay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You should see my notes. <laughs> Good strike in the second round. 202 to go. You're doing Leg sports kicks. talk with Broad React. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. All right. The way I think about implementing it is letting the people know I'm on the job learning. So, like, appreciate me. Going out of That's my way. That's one thing. The MMAsmans aren't very fond or fair to people who are just casual. Like right. if you're not on, like if you don't know what you're talking about, they'll get you. Right. But I learned some phrases. That's a good tag. He tagged them. You know. He tagged them. That's not a phrase that you would really say is very uh, deep or technical. Damn. All right. Well, there you go. That's all I got for you. What so can to I do? Connor's yeah. question. I'm okay with it. Well, hold on. You're you call a UFC event. What can I? What can I do here? I'm trying to learn. I can't Keep say he, he tagged them. I mean, they say that all the time. No, I hear them I'm all the time. Hey, he tagged them. Thought it was good. I put it down in my notes. Tagged them. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a term that would make you very I'm just kidding. Deep I, technical, <laughs> yeah, right? I, I didn't put it in my notes. Yeah, I don't kidding. even know that I've ever used that term in describing <laughs> the fight. I'm just having some fun. But, yeah, I can't wait. So, regardless, okay, to answer the question, you accept me. I think Josh accepts me, and I can't wait. We got a fight night coming up this weekend. There one every weekend. I know. It's amazing. I never knew that. It's great stuff. All right, Doug. And you have Fight Pass, so you can watch anything. I know. I told you. I'm on 172 now. I just watched Lawler. That was a good one. That was 171. Okay. I should note that I've been telling him he has homework. That's right. I forgot about my homework. You know, it's already October 6th. The days are dwindling for you to do this What's my homework again? So I keep explaining to Hunter Mike that he loves Khabib. So I said... To appreciate Khabib more, he needs to go back and watch the godfathers of Khabib's style of fighting. Go back and watch George St. Pierre and Matt Hughes. Because when you watch what those guys did, and then when you watch what Khabib does now, you have a greater appreciation for how dominant Khabib is. Because when the guys did it before him, they were great at it, but Khabib has kind of taken it to a different level. There you go. He's the greatest of all time, if you ask me. Okay, that's ridiculous. What do you mean? He's not the greatest. Greatest of all time. Take down anyone, anywhere. The greatest of all time is John Jones. Until he sees Khabib. Yeah. Khabib couldn't take John Jones down with light dependent on it. John Jones has the greatest takedown defense in UFC history. Well, they wouldn't match up. I know. So. I know. All right. Let's get to the next one. Doug wants to know. Well, actually, it's what is the loss, the impact of Matt Niskanen's loss? How does that impact the Flyers? I mean. It's a huge loss. I would imagine the loss 
it almost affects Provorov as well. Big time. That's he where it's a bigger loss is how well Provorov played with that pairing, as opposed to when he didn't have Mister. Now, I've been texting Durso all day, thinking about what the Flyers can possibly do. He's all in on the draft. I'm like, what do you think, Durso? Yeah, if you go to our website, and by the way, I'm pretty su surprised by this, to be honest with you. So, I'm looking at the, the stats on the website. The draft previews from Durso are some of the most read articles this week. That's because we're a Flyers town. Yeah. That's so what happens. you need to do more sports talk with Broads Flyers uh, stuff. I think it's possible. I can't wait to see who they draft. No, but you would know more than me, but I'm saying I think it affects the team in multiple ways. That you had Niskanen, who was solid, not spectacular, but it, it affects Provorov more than anything else. The problem is now you need to spend money. Well, you save the money on his cap hit, but you got to now go get money or go get a player using that money to fill a top D pairing, not a two- you know, a okay, deep pair two or three. You had all these defensemen over the years because of uh, Hextall that you drafted. Hag and um, who's the other guy that broke his leg? Um, oh, he's... he's Moran. A, yeah, yeah. He, he gets hurt every... He's Roman Quinn. You just can't rely on okay, that. Okay, so they had all those guys. Hag, Sam Moran, um, Goss's Bear. He's going to get traded. Who else am I forgetting? Goss's Bear is going to get traded. Okay, so all these guys, even with even with um, uh, Niskin and retiring... Yeah, you need that veteran number one guy. I like what Phil Myers Braun, is. Braun, Myers. Like, see, Braun. All right, so Braun is. He's your sixth defenseman. Like, he's a veteran. He's been around the block, but he's old. He's slow. He's just your veteran sixth D-man. You got to go up and get your number one, number two type defenseman. Now, there's a man who's going to be on the on the uh, UFA list here, Petrangelo from the Blues. It's going to be a hefty, hefty cap hit. I don't think the Flyers are really in play for a move like that. That would limit you. You won't be able to do anything else. Cam York? He's not ready yet. No? Nah, he's not ready yet. It's going to be a little bit. These Flyers prospects take some time to groom. Okay, I'm just uh, trying to figure, like, if they got guys. Because for but years... you're looking for a number one guy. If Cam York is ready to play, he's not just going to get thrown into, like, hey, I'm your number one. Like, Matt Niskanen was a professional defenseman on a top pairing. Okay. You need to find that professional. Uh, Sanheim was another one of those guys. He's like your second line guy. Sam Moran. Probably not. No good. You got to find a real one out there like a hey. you got to hit the no. Fifth, sixth D-man guy. He might, he's your seventh guy, really. It's a shame. I mean, he drafted um, they're, they're useful players. Like, Sanheim is a great top four defenseman. But you need that perfect that perfect player like a Niskanen who's a professional, who's been around, who has experience to play next to Provorov. That's what you're going to have to go out and find. It's not going to be easy. It's right, scary. Just, just saying, I mean, for all those years, it seemed like, my God, they had all these young defenders. And now you're looking around and saying, hmm. Yeah, they're nice guys. It's hard to find that number one stud, though. You know, like that Pronger type, that, that Drew Doughty type, that true number one type player as a defenseman, that's hard to find. It's not easy, but they got to find. They're not going to find that in free agency. But a Matt Niskanen type, you got to find a way to, to go out and help that team. Chuck, Chuck Fletcher, he's willing to spend money. My big knock on him is he has no clue how to actually utilize cap space. Like he left Minnesota in a horrendous spot because he saw Zach Parise. He saw all these players like, oh, I got to sign him. I got to sign him. And then he was like, uh oh, my hands are tied. He's known to do that, so he's willing to spend, which we're excited about. But what does that mean long-term? That's the question. So we'll see. We'll see.
We got one more here from George. Who wins the NBA Finals game four tonight? Bam's back. Um, Great question, George. I go Lakers. I think the Lakers win the next two. Okay, so you think it's LeBron finishing it off? Yep. Even with Bam returning? Yep. Love to hear that. <laughs> I mean, I think the Heat got their game. They stole their game. If they win tonight, I will be pretty surprised and excited. Yeah, I, I do. look, I love LeBron. I want this to be exciting, though. I want a storyline. If Jimmy Butler gives you 42 points tonight and gives you a double-double, and then it's like, uh-oh, what do we have here? I'm not going to be upset about it. I want LeBron to win, but I'm not going to sit there and be devastated and can't sleep at night because LeBron lost the finals. Yeah. Maybe I will. I don't know. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. By the way, this uh, text on fo uh, Football 4 at Ask Mike and Bro says, wants to know where you get your accent from. Never heard it. South Jersey. I got it from South Jersey. Right? I mean. Do I sound weird to you? I don't, not to me. He Josh, says, where do does I Brody sound? get that accent? Never heard that one before. Well, I was born in Washington Township. Then I lived in Glassboro. Is that a Glassboro? Well, you've been in Canada or yeah, Vermont? Yeah, Vermont. I've been up in Canada. So sometimes maybe you have hockey twang. Maybe you got a little bit of something like snuck in there. Okay, maybe. I like it, though. Whatever it is. Ask Mike and Bro. It's brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. That's PropSwap.com. Coming up, Pete Thompson has a Tuesday with Thompson. His reaction to the Eagles win and who's in, who's out. We'll rank the NFL playoff teams. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Game two of the American League Division Series. Will the Rays respond to a game one defeat? Or is it the game? Uh, Pete Thompson has Tuesday with Thompson coming up. We'll have a little fun with the PT coming up. Then who's in, who's out? After four weeks, we will uh, rank our NFL playoff teams. Who do we think the 14 teams in the playoffs will be? By the way, two teams that are 3-0 and did not play this week. Pittsburgh and Tennessee. So how does that affect their standing in our who's in and who's out? We have uh, buys starting this week. So we'll see what ends up happening if there's any more COVID cancellations or changes. Keep that in mind. If there's anything that gets affected, you got bye weeks and the team's off now. It could be a big mess if this uh, happens again to somebody else. So hopefully all these teams follow the protocols. And while you have some teams like Pittsburgh opening up and Philadelphia potentially, Adam Schefter reported three minutes ago, due to concerning increase of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in Green Bay, the Packers are putting a hold down indefinitely when it comes to opening up Lambeau. So you have some parts of the country ready to open up some of these stadiums while Green Bay is like, hold on a second, we're not even close. We're putting a hold down. So it's just interesting to see kind of where each team is at at the That moment. being said, Philly is uh, opening up, well, Pittsburgh, I should say, is opening up. It's going to be 5,500 fans this week at Heinz Field for the Steeler game. The Eagles would allow be allowed to have 7,500 fans. But the mayor has to sign off on it. Now, we'll see if he ends up deciding to do that or not. But that means the Eagles' next game is against the Baltimore Ravens at home. They could have potentially fans at that game, 7,500 fans. So. It's a loud building when it's normally packed, that Baltimore Ravens. Because the way it is, it's like it goes no, really. the game's here. 
Oh, that one is there. That's right. That that one is here in Philadelphia. But just in general, Baltimore, uh, that stadium. Have you ever been there? I know you're a Maryland's man. I have driven by it many times. I've never. I don't know. Uh, no, I I've been to a road football game. Man, I was a kid. I was at the old Foxborough where the Patriots played before Gillette Stadium. I was there. I don't know that I've ever been at another NFL road game. So when I was at school down there, we did like a we did an event. And we kind of helped out there, and it was for uh, charity, and we were raising money for things. But we went to one of their games, and we worked one of the stands as a hockey team. And uh, the game went into overtime. It was electric. The Ravens ended up winning. It was such a cool atmosphere. That place gets loud. I mean, it was like, wow, I had to take a step back and go, wow, this is loud. I mean, not that I didn't expect it not to be, but it was just a really cool atmosphere. It's a nice stadium they have down there. It's uh, it's right there by Camden Yards too. They have the Camden Yards, and uh, I think it's uh, uh, bank some some bank has the naming rights for uh, the Ravens, but they're right next door to each other. It's unfortunate that people don't get to go to Camden Yards to actually watch a good product. Yeah. It's a nice ballpark. It is. Yeah, it's funny how old that place is now. I mean, remember when that was the standard, and now it's like that thing's got to be. 20, 25 years old?